Because, you know, fasting is essentially starving. Like, you can't say that, you know, my ancestors in the Holocaust were just fasting. No, they were starving and they weren't eating. When you're not eating, you're starving. I'm sorry. <gasps> hey, this is Jeff Wu. And this is Dr. Brianna Stubbs. And we're here to do another live reaction video. Our producer, Zill Alonin, found an interesting video where this YouTuber, Tiger Fitness, is calling out intermittent fasting as a hoax. Pretty aggressive claims there because as you guys probably know, we both do a lot of intermittent fasting and are very familiar with the literature and the data behind it. So very curious to see what he has to say and we'll give you our live reactions. Pretty thoughts here? No, I'm just ready to, ready to be entertained. All right. Let's do it. What's up everyone? Mark Lobliner, CEO, MTS Nutrition. You know how I know that was a good boom? My wife just jumped. She's sitting right across from me. Anyway, I like having her in here. It gives me something to talk to. Someone <laughs> to talk to. So let me tell you who doesn't like intermittent fasting. That is one Katie Lobliner. If Katie goes, if Katie goes an hour past, like when she wakes up for food, man, she is just gonna be in a world of hurt, man. So someone is like intermittent fasting in terms of not eating for an hour, that sounds like metabolic inflexibility to me. Yeah, I mean, if she can't go an hour without eating, then that's not a great sign. Right. Now, I have gone on record as supporting 24 plus hour fasts. Why? Well, because I believe it does something called autophagy. Autophagy is basically your body killing off unneeded or dead cells within the body, which is very healthy for anti-aging and just simply not dying. I'm gonna just like slightly correct his science there and that autophagy isn't like killing off cells. Autophagy is like recycling the bits inside our cells that are like not needed anymore. So um, there's a process called apoptosis and that's like controlled cell death. That's different to autophagy, which is like cell spring cleaning. So it's not about killing off cells. He's made a little bit of a mistake there. Yeah, so it's like the organelles, right? It's like the mitochondria that might be a little bit damaged within the cell. Yeah. And they're replacing that, they're, mm -hmm. they're repairing that. I think it's a good subtle so, you know, we're gonna get, get the science up on a high bar to start with. Yes. Right? However, as more and more data comes out, we're having longer and longer samplings of intermittent fasting. Because, you know, fasting is essentially starving. Like, you can't say that, you know, my ancestors in the Holocaust were just fasting. Wow. <laughs> they were starving and they weren't eating. When you're not eating, you're starving. I'm sorry. I don't care if it's planned or not. Do you want to start? <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, I think that's just like the biggest misconception. Uh, fasting is starving. No, fasting is a purposeful pause with, with, with consumption. And I'd also say that starvation is like, it's a long process. There's, you know, like the first 24 hours where you haven't eaten, but lots of things in metabolism change as you take that out to, you know, days and then you know even from like one week out to some of the oldest studies of fasting well actually actually look, we're going to call it starvation because this paper by george cahill the seminal paper is actually called starvation in man yeah, yeah. so that but that was a 50 day long water only fast and so yeah, 40, what days, yeah, yeah so what they were doing in that paper was looking at how metabolism changed and like it's a really dynamic process over that 50 days things are like changing at each stage so to call fasting starvation i mean it's, I think it's not comparable. Yeah, one, it's overly simplified. And I think what you're flagging, what you're teasing at is that the phase of starvation is very, very nuanced. And a lot of things are happening in these day periods, hour periods, week periods, and mm -hmm. sort of the 40, 50 day mark periods. Yeah, so I think nobody in the fasting community saying don't ever eat ever, because that <laughs> is starvation. Yeah. Um, and you know, we, we definitely know some people in our community who probably like, just from their own like stories, I think they probably fast too much. I think you can fast too much. Yeah. 
I wouldn't say that that's like the typical like, use or experience. Of yeah, and I was also just say from a personal perspective, you know, you're quite an endurance athlete. Like I exercise and work out quite consistently as well. And our goal here is not to metabolize muscle tissue. Our goal here is to enhance our metabolic flexibility, you know, jumpstart ketosis, and you know, do the metabolic adaptation that's associated with all of that. I think the critique with fasting sometimes is, oh, you're just starving, you're losing muscle mass, you're losing lean muscle tissue. And no, I think if you do it smartly, and I think that's what we advocate intelligently, you can get the best of both worlds. Like, I feel like with the title of the video being a hoax and like we're a minute in and he's talking about the Holocaust, I feel like he's definitely going, going for effect. <laughs> so there has been a, this is the first I've seen, this is the longest controlled study on intermittent fasting I've seen. I'm gonna give you a little bit of this, uh, this data and I'm gonna read you the conclusion. Effective intermittent fasting versus continuous energy restricting on restriction on weight loss, maintenance and cardiometabolic risk, a randomized one year trial. So here's the deal, background, and aims, long-term adherence to conventional weight loss diet is limited while intermittent fasting has risen in popularity. We compared the effects of intermittent fasting versus continuous energy restriction on weight loss, maintenance, and cardiometabolic risk factors in adults with abdominal obesity and more the greater than one additional component of metabolic syndrome. So you had 112 participants, 50% men, 50% women, age 21 to 70, a huge group sampling. So you can't just say that this works in old women or whatever. Based on dietary records, both groups reduce energy intake by 26 to 28%. Before talking about the results, I'm just curious, given your background as someone that does experiments and, 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 and sizing and, and sampling, does the protocol seem reasonable? I think the protocol yeah. seems no, reasonable No, it seems reasonable. The sample size is pretty big. Yeah. I would like, it would be interesting to read more into the methods of this paper about like how they monitored adherence and how they defined fasting. And, and one big thing that actually jumps out at me just thinking about is like, what, what, what was the macros of the right. caloric restriction? You know, cause that all these things would make a difference. But I mean, taking a step back and being like completely impartial, you'd want, if, if fasting is, you know, like so good, then it should deliver effects no matter what you're eating. You know, the, the promise of fasting is don't eat, then eat, what you want, right. right? I mean, you know, it's probably not that simple, but that, you know, it's a consideration, like what were they eating on the fasting days? On the intermittent energy group, they consumed 400 to 600 calories. So again, they're not- it's like a five, two, it, five. Yeah, it's more like a um, fast mimicking diet kind of thing right. than a straight up water fast. So. Yeah, I mean, I would say like the things that I, you potentially could nitpick on a study protocol like this is they're, I believe using food journals to track compliance yeah. and from food journaling, it's a little bit controversial in terms of how accurate is that. People tend to underestimate with the amount of calories they're eating. The absolute gold standard would to be would be to have people in inpatient, in, inpatient. But this yeah. is study, as he said, like it's great because it's so long, yeah. um, and so it's just not like feasible. So it's not a real like red flag criticism yeah. of this study. Yeah, and I think one thing that I want to underline, which I thought was smart, was uh, can we be teasing into the dietary breakdown of the diet of when the fasting group as well as the uh, caloric restriction groups. I think if you think about all ways to manipulate a diet and something I've been thinking a lot about, there's either restriction based on time, mm -hmm. restriction based on calories, which these are now uh, comparing. But the third part they haven't talked about, which is outside the scope of this study, is dietary restriction. Are you restricting things like carb or fat or increasing consumption of uh, fats? Yeah. Uh, which is a big confounding variable if we were doing a study and one group was eating like a ton of carbs and one group was eating a lot of uh, fats. Are you really testing out time restriction versus calorie restriction? Yeah. 
Are you testing some confounding factor? Yeah. So that would be like the last nitpick. Okay, let's go into the conclusions and the uh, Tiger Fitness's interpretation here. Weight loss was similar among participants in intermittent and continuous energy restriction groups. There were favorable improvements in waist circumference, blood pressure, triglycerides, and HDL with no difference between groups. No difference. None. But that's in a way, that's like kind of fine. Like. It's great that both groups lost weight and both groups improved their risk factors. And you know, one thing that we do can see consistently throughout all studies in this kind of area, whether it's diabetes and just like diabetes management and weight loss is like losing weight is helpful. Yep. So, I mean, that's, that's a good thing. It's not, not that yeah, remarkable. Yeah, and I would say that it's, I would like flip it on its head. It's like, oh, no difference. I mean, I think that's really, really great for fasting. Because I think the critique is that I think if you just assume that you're just restricting around 26% or 28% calories, that's like a very strict amount of calorie restriction. And to fast a couple of days a week and you can get the same weight loss benefits is a pretty, I would say, uh, you know, a good testament or data point for why fasting actually works. Yeah, I think it's like, it depends on your preference. Do you want to be counting calories every single day of the week or do you want to have two or three days of a week where you are more disciplined? Yeah. Intermittent restriction participants reported higher hunger stores and continuous restriction participants than the continuous um, restriction participants on a subjective numerac state. So again, it's reporting data, but basically the fasting people were really fucking hungry. They're like, I want breakfast, I want lunch, and I want dinner. This is a 5-2 fast. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty inconsistent in the literature. There's like a number of other older studies. It's just not clear at this stage. You know, I think we can't like hang all of, we can't just say that fasting always makes you hungry based on this one study. I mean, you know, like when I fast, I am hungry. Yeah. So, I mean. Yeah, but I would also say like if you're restricting to only having 75% of your calories of your normal diet, you're probably also hungry too. But it sounds like what he's claiming is that there's that difference, as you've seen in some of your work, beta-hydroxybutyrate mitigates appetite in a way that is like another in interesting variable. I'm, I'm just curious that I would love to see if these participants were in ketosis. Yeah, and I'd really like to see levels of the gut hormones that regulate appetite as right. well. That would be actually... I think my recommendation on the study, right? Like, it sounds like a lot of the biomarkers were fairly basic lipids and fairly basic body composition markers. I think if we had a dream panel, it would be like beta-hydroxybutyrate, ghrelin, some of the appetite hormones, uh, to really understand what's going on physiologically with these, with these subjects. However, feelings of hunger may be more pronounced during intermittent energy restriction. So here's the take home. When you don't eat, you get hungry. A lot of this is common sense to me. Although I would say that subjectively with people that we know from our community who fast for longer, it doesn't continue, hunger doesn't continue to mount up as you go through the fast. Once your body does um, become accustomed to the fast, kick into ketosis, generally people report that hunger stabilizes. Yep. So it's not like the longer you fast, the more hungry you get. Yeah, and I would also just say, I think just thinking about like when I first started fasting, we're just like not used to even being out without food for a couple hours. Like, like his, the gentleman was saying yeah. that you can't survive without an hour of not eating. And that's just not a metabolically healthy state to be in where you're just so dependent on your next sugar rush or next insulin spike. Yeah. My perspective is that, yeah, I think if you're taking someone from a standard Western diet with a standard multi, you know, three meals a day plus snacks a day, 
and you get them into a fasting protocol, there's going to be an adjustment period where they're going to be, oh, like, wow. But this study was a year long. So, I mean, I guess one thing that he hasn't made clear, and, you know, maybe if we read the study, was I'd be really interested to see if how often they ask people about hunger, whether it was like whether it was like they asked them one time to reflect on the whole year or whether they were doing these questionnaires weekly. And if so, like, did this change over time? Like, I think that's one thing that I'd be interested to learn more about the study. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point. Now, here's what I found Now, I did experiment with intermittent fasting. When I started eating, I'd be so hungry after a meal that I would end up eating the same amount of calories as when I was eating just normal. A regular eating pattern where you eat three squares a day or you eat six small meals a day. Whatever you choose, I don't think it matters. My point has always been at the end of the day, the foremost thing, the, the number one thing is calories in, calories out. Sure, there are other factors, other risk factors. There are insulin, there's all this stuff, right? I would disagree with that point fairly strongly. I mean, depending on your depending on your goals, maybe there are situations where eating six meals a day could be all right for you. But like from, a bodybuilding and yeah, that, that kind like, of stuff. like this guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for, <laughs> from my understanding of, you know, the the metabolism and biochemistry, if you don't give your body chance where it's not riding the insulin spike, you're not gonna get into some of these helpful processes like autophagy, and they're not just like nice to have, they're like essential to keep us functioning well, you know, and it's really, there's this really interesting paradox called the athlete's paradox, and they look at the muscle of athletes and the muscle of type two diabetics, and both of them have lots of droplets of lipids in it, and athletes are healthy and insulin sensitive, and diabetics are insulin insensitive and people used to think it was these lipid droplets that made people insensitive and it's not the droplets it's the fact that they're not being turned over so if you don't give your body a chance to like turn over some of these metabolites that build up inside our cells you know metabolites and or autophagy you need to like run your battery up and down and up and down that's kind of important and that's how we you know I don't like to invoke evolution too much but it is only recently that we had access to food all the time. So I would say that six meals a day is not really what we were designed to do and is not likely to be optimal for health. I get where Tiger is coming from. It's it's a very oversimplification to the calories in, calories are out argument. It's like, okay, it doesn't matter how you kind of space out your food. If you're doing six meals a day or three meals a day and you're eating the same calories, you have the same effect. And I think that argument is not obfuscated or deprecated because of the carbohydrate insulin model of obesity and how one gains weight. Again, this is an open area of science, but I think there's very clear differences. If you're eating six small meals a day, you're getting six insulin spikes and crashes a day. If you're doing one large, one large meal a day, you see a lot different integral or area under the curve of that insulin activity. And I think these are very important hormones and signaling factors that that, that matter for some, stuff like autophagy and, and things that you care about for metabolic health and longevity. Yeah, so I would say, to summarize like his point, I think it's not, it's not all equivalent. Right. But I think it's like, okay, I, but I think to, just to like be fair to him, if you want to be bodybuilding, mm-hmm. you probably want to be spiking insulin a lot. Yeah. You probably, like, and I think a lot of bodybuilders, like Mr. Olympic, Olympia competitors, are doing that kind of six meal a day thing. So again, if your goal is to bodybuild, uh, potentially that's something to consider. Go super mass catabolic state. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're even afraid of going like overnight, like eight hours without protein. So right. people eat like slow release protein overnight so that right. they minimize the catabolic window and all right. that. So it's, yeah, it's a different So if case. that is your goal, then maybe consider it. I think let's just do this, the best protocol and the best tools for your goal. 
but I would say that most people are not looking to be Mr. Olympias. Uh, we're looking for some sweet spot between health span and longevity. Yeah, and to come back to one of the points that you made earlier, like it's quite um, restrictive not being able to go like an hour or more or two, a couple of hours. I mean, let's be fair, you know, two or three hours without before you're like thinking about your next meal. It's like just in terms of your headspace and your like life, it would be nice to know that, yeah, sure, I can go like four or five or six hours and I'm not going to die and I'm not going to be really rude to my colleague or my partner or anything like that. You know, it's sort of to be free of, a lot of people talk about wanting to be free of hung, feeling hungry. And so whilst you might be hungry as you're getting used to fasting, it's a good way, you know, I'm an athlete, I train. If you kind of just train and get used to the feelings of hunger and you can like kind of rationalize it, yeah. then it's gonna be better for yeah, your mental health. It's not that bad, it's like not that bad, yeah. But what we will say is what this study shows is that health parameters were more influenced by the hypocaloric, meaning less calories than they burn, intake than they were by when they ate which means that there is no metabolic or cardiometabolic um, benefits to intermittent fasting. I, I know a lot of people in our community are very much investigating and in, in studying the carbohydrate insulin model as opposed to the carbohydrate or the or calories in calories are out model. But I think the people, yeah. you yeah. know, when they're not like slinging abuse at one another on Twitter, there are areas where they do agree that the other like side has value. So it's, it's just kind of like which one is ultimately more important. But, right. you know, they're both important pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. And I think I, I, I think I think that's right. I think if you actually look at the literature, uh, the discussion is fairly nuanced. I think on Twitter, on social, it's very much like you guys are idiots. We're, we're the right. You, you know, we're idiots. You're, you're, you're right. Each independent one does not capture the whole story, yeah. is, I guess, one way to put it. But I am sick and tired of these scam artists coming across with all these different fasting protocols, claiming egregious claims about HGH output. Now, you guys know endogenous or your body's own production of HGH, doing it through exercise. Dude, that's like a drop in the pain. It's not going to do much for you. I was actually looking into HGH production through a fast and it's it's like a 9, 10, 9 to 12x increase. Mm. These are like pretty material increases in growth hormone production. So I don't know if you're injecting growth hormone, maybe it's a drop yeah. in the bucket. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you prefer that you can adhere to long term that keeps your keeps your calories lower or within your maintenance or slightly below if you're overweight is the best way to go. Whether it's fasting or continuous eating patterns, go for what fits your lifestyle. If you're like me, you're sitting at a desk and you train and you get hungry because you're constantly working out. I wake up in the morning and I do a workout, a really hard intense workout. In the afternoon, I generally throw in some cardio and then I coach at night, which is extremely exhausting. There's no way I could fast, I would die. Do you think he'd die if you fasted? He's got a lot of meat on him. I think he, he can survive, I think he'd survive. Days. I think we should. I think we should find him somewhere and take him out to the middle of the desert and see <laughs> see if he dies if he fasts. I wouldn't die. I just wouldn't perform optimally. Bottom line is, your body knows what to do. Just hit your macros and you're good. Fasting is either good and either bad. It's up to preference. But to say that it is the holy grail of health and fat loss, science is not proving. It is demonstrating that fasting is not the way to go for indefinite. Um, Results. Fasting is an option. I guess he's walking back a lot of his yeah. that, that headline. He's saying that, you know, it's not the end all be all. I would say that I would agree with that. I don't think any one specific protocol or supplement or nutrition strategy is the one all end all for every single human being. Do we have some last thoughts here? 
And I think that he's focused a lot on weight loss and cardiometabolic stuff in this video. And, you know, I don't want to like get too far ahead from where like the evidence is, but there are certainly a lot of other potential um, benefits of fasting that have been proven out in preclinical models that are, you know, like underway being proven out in human models as well that aren't just, you know, aren't just to do with losing weight. Um, and, you know, for me personally, why I fast is because I find the animal data around longevity and that kind of neurogenesis, that kind of thing, I find that very compelling. Yeah. And such a small imposition on my life that, the, like, the risk-reward means that it's worth, worth the investment and effort. So for me, like, the net benefits are, are there. So I think, you know, by not at least acknowledging that it's not, that people who are fa advocates for fasting aren't just about weight loss, I feel like he's missed quite a big piece of the puzzle there. Yeah. It was interesting to see how from the start of the video he starts off like kind of aggressive, the video's titled that it's a hoax and really the paper shows there's like no differences. Um, it, you know, it's a pretty well-run study. Um, you know, we had some interesting things that we you know, would like to see in like future studies, but really, you know, when you look at science, you've got to take a step back and look at all of the papers that are emerging in this area. And so I think this is like another, another data point that we can build on as we try and look at more of the literature around fast. The way I think about this space now is that there's three ways to restrict or think about nutrition. Time restriction, dietary restriction, meaning what kind of foods do you eat, and then calorie restriction, the total amount of calories that one consumes. And these are all three very reasonable things to play around and, and personalize for your own baseline and your own goals. Uh, I think it is open science and open exploration to figure out what is the best possible combination of time, diet, and calorie restriction. Perhaps it, with him making this video, there's a bit of a pushback against people who he feels are being like overstating where the evidence is around fasting. And in a way, I kind of applaud that because it is really difficult to like sift through information and everyone's trying to sort of present their findings or their opinion as like the the like one true way right. and i hope that you know through this kind of commentary we've provided like some nuance and you know i think maybe that's what he was sort of trying to do with this yeah. video um but he maybe just sort of set it up in a bit of an alarmist and kind of antagonistic way just to get people to watch the video yeah so how about the end verdict is fasting a hoax it sounds like even from tiger he says that hey it's a reasonable uh strategy so tiger you didn't convince me not to uh, to, to not fast anymore, unfortunately. Try better next time. <laughs> Thanks so much for all taking time out of your day to watch this. So if you like it, uh, give us a like, give us some comment. We'd love to see um, some discussion going on, what you think of what we had to say. Um, subscribe to the channel and we'll be putting out another one of these next time someone says something inflammatory on Twitter. So probably in about an hour's time. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye.